0: To the Mind Talk podcast, you are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host Edwin. And today we have a special, 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 special guest. We have a name who um, their name is cemented in UK Athletic. Um, and we're really privileged and honoured to have this guest on. Um, we have a four-time Olympian. We have a European junior champion and other accolades include a bronze medal at the 1998 Commonwealth Games, which was held in Kuala Lumpur, and further bronze medals in the 4x4 relay at both Helsinki and Osaka, which were world championships. I guess the last thing to say is both Edwin and myself regularly watch this individual on TV racing. During our and um, times growing up, and I would definitely say it was part of the the golden generation of you know u k athletics so without any further ado, a warm, warm welcome to miss Donna Fraser Hey,
1: thank you for having me <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we're really really happy absolutely we're really really ha- happy to have you on so Donna you know we've got a a, a routine And it's always about one's first memory of a sport. So what was your first memory, either playing or watching a sport growing up?
2: I'm not sure whether your class running away from my mum from licks as a sport, <laughs> but um, I think that's what where so I got fun. my <laughs> that's where I got my speed from. That's for sure. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, um, I, I was surrounded by sport as a youngster. My parents loved cricket, being from the West Indies. Mum loved her horse racing, bizarrely. boxing was always on TV, and my sister, my older sister, was loved athletics as well. So. You know, like most siblings, you want to follow in the footsteps of, of your older sisters or brothers. And, and that's exactly yeah. what I wanted to do. But I was really catapulted into athletics at the age of eight at my primary school. I had no idea that I, you know, at that point that I would become a, an athlete as a profession. But, you know, I was extremely shy. It was something I enjoyed. I loved doing. I love playing outdoors getting yeah. up to mischief. But um, athletics really was my thing. But it was in '84 watching the Olympic Games on TV that it was then that I set my goal of wanting to be an Olympian.
3: Okay. And, and what athlete stood out to you in '84 that made you think, you know what, let me, um, let me see if I can pursue this?
2: Yeah, it's such a funny one. I think growing up, it, it was always Jesse Owens, um, and, and not so much because it was athletics, but what he achieved in those adverse, challenging times at the Olympics in Berlin and winning all those medals despite the circumstances. So for me, that was just inspiring. Um, And my sister introduced me to uh, Wilma Rudolph, again, overcoming adversity, where she she had polio, she had multiple illnesses as a youngster and was told she'd never run let alone walk so yeah, to yeah. overcome that and become an olympic champion it, it was those individuals that really inspired me
0: okay talk to us about the embryon about your embryonic stages into you know getting into athletics
2: yeah um that, that's the story in itself so representing my yeah. primary school at the age of a uh, running at only 55 meters, which I, I definitely would have welcomed that now rather than 400, yeah. I could just about run for a bus now. Um, yeah, it, it, I enjoyed it. I won every race moving through the ranks, running 60 meters the following year, then 75 and then 90 meters. And it was yeah. then that I was approached by the local club where those championships were were taking place to to come and join the club. Um, but, you know, coming from a West Indian background, it was hell no, athletics <laughs> is not going to pay the bills, you know, we, we want you to do something else with your life. Um, but, you know, the beauty of having an older sister fought my corner and, and basically convinced them to let me go down and the rest was history. I was in my element, surrounded by people who were like me and who wanted to achieve great things in the, in the world of sport. So yeah, I was in my element. And yeah, the rest is history.
3: So with, with that being said, that um, with obviously parents, I know myself, um, parents not thinking athletic is something that you can pick as a career, at what point did they decide to support you?
2: I mean, to be fair, they always did where they'd come down and watch me compete for my club and my school. They were always there, but they always say you need to study your books as well. So I was adamant that I'd do both and prove them wrong, that I could do both and worked extremely hard at school. And then obviously after school, we'd go go training, come back and do more schoolwork. And that's that's what I've always known is almost having two jobs even to this very day and juggling yeah. two things maybe three but they always were there in the background um but again just did not see it as a profession it's only probably when they started seeing me on tv and i would meet the local person in tesco's or wherever and say oh i saw your daughter they're like oh yeah that's my daughter <laughs> um so yeah it, they, they they were indirectly supporting me as such
3: okay
0: you've mentioned your your older sister in, in a positive light Uh, you know, on a few occasions already. Talk to us about um, how instrumental she was in your early stages
2: oh my goodness um if we could have been twins we definitely would have been there's a 10-year age gap so when i was born she she really saw me as a daughter which is really weird but she was proud to have a baby sister and what's even more bizarre we both went to the same primary school and she took me in for parents even with my mum as a baby and that same teacher became my sports teacher when i joined the prime same primary school so that journey of of her and guiding me and fighting my corner she was the one that drove me up and down the country to competitions giving me that hope and inspiration when i didn't do so well in some races and and just giving that guidance not saying my parents didn't but because she loved sport and she was an athlete as well but didn't get as far as i did she only got to the english schools i guess she wanted me to, to progress further than she did and was always there. And, and not only from an athletics perspective, but she went from being a dental nurse to a lawyer. So, again, yeah. to see her transition and go for what she wanted to, to do has always inspired me. So she doesn't know this, but I do often tell her, she goes, don't be so ridiculous. How can I be inspired? But completely different professions is, is just amazing to me.
3: Yeah. I don't, I don't think people realize how important it is to have some support, even if it's not your parents. As long as you've got friends or family that are supporting you, times where it could be challenging, they are the people that keep you going. Yes. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I, I totally agree. And I'll be honest with you, um, through my athletics career, I, I've lost friends because they, they, not the fact they weren't supporting me, but didn't quite understand where I was going. Uh, and if I was away for weekends, sometimes months away from home, they thought, well, you know, I've forgotten them. It wasn't the case. I was just focused. And I can honestly count my close friends on one hand, and they're those who have been with me from the age of five even right through to how old I am now. So, you know, they understand. They get me. They know if they haven't heard from me, it's not because I'm ignoring them. It's because Donna's focused. When she's back, we'll pick up from from wherever we left off from. So
0: uh eight years old when you joined this you know local um, athletics club um can you just talk about the early stages the first few weeks you know um getting to know new people um the team dynamics um can you just just talk to us a little bit about that
2: yeah definitely um well I remember my first night like it was yesterday it was a bit chilly and I'm not good with cold, so I always remember those (laughs) moments when I'm cold. Um, But just seeing the track and just seeing people running was like, this is so me. And I immediately came out of my shell. And I say I was shy. I was just probably shy in in environments I wasn't used to, but that was probably the one moment I wasn't shy. I I made friends quite quickly. And um, another girl, the group that I joined at, at the time, she was the one I equaled the record of. She was from another school when I ran the 90 metres. So I was already being spoken about at the club. So wow. it, it was quite bizarre. But, yeah, we fitted in quite well. My first training group, we had fun. We had love That's all I remember was having fun all the time. And, and for me, that's what sport is about. It's not just always about the optimal performance. You've got to have fun with it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, things got more serious when I started to represent the county of Surrey and then moving up right through to representing my country where I thought, it's still fun, but, you know, I really have to get my head in gear.
3: Yeah. yeah. Mentally, how did you deal with the extra pressure when you start running for county and you start running for country? How 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 much of an impact did it, it have on you?
2: You know what I always say, uh, even now, when I got right to the top of my, my personal game, um, was... You could be as fit as a fiddle, but if you're not mentally strong, that could be your downfall. Um, and I guess having that support network, my sister, my parents, who were, it's quite humble that you know if I didn't win, that's fine. You know, you just that you live another day, you move forward. And all the coaches that I've had throughout my career have been exactly the same. You just learn from your mistakes. So, again, growing growing up through the ranks, I really did believe the only pressure I put on myself. I have is what I put on myself and don't take on anything else and this is before social media Um so I wasn't you know looking on Twitter to see what people are saying about me it was just wait till the next week's newspaper and see what's said in that but how did I deal with it I just focused on me Um, I guess Having that confidence that I was going to win does help, but there are times and were times when I was, had gone through injury and wasn't as fit as I was. But I think over a period of time, I started to build that resilience of just living in the now and cope with the now and what will be will be. But just as long as I can come away knowing I've given 110%, that was all that, was, that mattered to me. Mm.
0: I always find the transitioning for of you know being in a in a group where you are the fastest and then you go to another group or you start competing at a higher level and you're no longer the fastest you are now playing catch up so uh, I guess my next question to you is how did you take when you moved from being the the best and the fastest and clearly the the fastest to being in a very competitive group of people. But also when you started competing, um, how, how did you first take that?
2: It, that is such a great question. And you're so, so right. I, there's two sides to this. It was my transition from group to group that I, I actually made that decision myself personally because I didn't feel I was progressing where I was so I moved from one group to another and made that concerted decision to do that and I knew that meant hard work there was no longer moments where Donna could be in her comfort zone so I expected yeah. that but the other transition that I I absolutely recall is going from the junior ranks and my last competition as a junior was the European Junior Championships in 91 going into the senior ranks and almost starting right at the bottom of the ladder as I call it. It's almost like your first day at school because there's no okay. comfort zone, you're, you're with the big girls now. So although I would have been the youngest of the senior girls, I still needed to prove myself and work twice as hard. Um, and then obviously the training group I was in by then, I was training with boys and girls who are much quicker than me. So. I was always knackered after every training session, you know, but I was just pushing those boundaries each and every time. But it is tough. Um, And I can imagine some athletes, you know, when they're not in front all the time can really damage them and they'll, they'll drop out of the sport because they're finding it hard to cope with that. But I expected it. I almost mentally prepared myself for that. But my focus was, to close that gap and eventually be in front of them that that was my, my goal
3: how was it for you when you did change group because there's a lot of athletes that may be in the scenario where they're considering changing but they don't have the confidence to to leave someone they might have been with for years how, how what was your mindset when you were, you were going through that
2: I, I remember the first time I, when I left my very first group that I joined from when I was at at school and and it was those old phones where you dial it. <laughs> and yeah. I remember my sister said, do you want me to talk to to your coach? I said, no, this is something I have to do. Um, and I was, I was so nervous. I was so scared of yeah. telling her that I, I, I wanted to move on. She'd taken me as far as she could. And I remember, you know, relaying that message as best as I could to, you know, obviously thank her for where she'd got me to. But at the same time, it's come to the end of the road and I could feel that and she didn't take it very well um and and it was it was nothing to do with her it was I needed to move on and I think that's what makes a great coach is knowing when you've taken that athlete to the end of the road And if you've got that relationship you should be able to part ways amicably I can never say that word um, but sometimes that's not the case, which is where that fear comes into it and sometimes relationships are really difficult. But uh, for me, I think that was the first step of me making a decision and that's all part of goal setting. Um, you know making sure that you, you make a decision whether it's right or wrong but you know within yourself whether it's the right thing to do at that moment in time and just set that pathway um, but all the others when I've moved on um, haven't been that difficult you know they understood but that first one was the most difficult because I'm still quite young
0: Athletics is um, a beautiful sport in general because of the, you know, the variety of sports. Um, but you know, when it comes to the sprints, the sprint events, that kind of outshines the rest. So, my, I guess the next question is, how did you choose that event? Or rather, how did 400 meters choose you? <laughs>
1: You took the words right out of my mouth. I
2: was <laughs> going to say the event chose me. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved the sprints, I think. 100 just running in a straight line is, is music to my ears to be honest where you can actually see the finish line um but my love was 200 meters especially with my stature when I did grow my legs grew and my little body didn't um the, the 100 meters just got far too short for me when the race is finished that's when Donna's getting going so yeah. it was a natural uh, step up to go up to 200 and I found my event but again I got to that point where I plateaued um and I remember vividly when um the same coach actually who scouted me said you know give the 400 meters a go and you know how far 400 meters is I just immediately thought that's pain how why why does anyone want to do 400 meters but I think um (laughs) It, the, the little mischievous person in me was like and curious let's give it a go because you'll never know until you try right um and my sister again be by my side she said to me Donna just jog the first 200 meters and then when you hit the mark you run 200 meters day in day out just go as fast as you can and- That's exactly what I did and I I, I was just last at 200 and uh, and that seems to have been the the in thing for me and and I just came through and won my first 400 but found it so easy especially with my stride length and the technique how I run it it was my event although I knew that meant a lot of more hard work Uh, the 400 meters training is not easy.
3: Talk to us about what was going through your mind, your first 400-meter race, because obviously it's not what you were used to. Was there nerves? Was there was there how were you feeling
2: i don't i don't actually remember how i felt all i remember is what my sister told me to do and i did everything she told me to do um but i do remember when i finished the race there was a lot of um upset girls who was like i could have beaten her could have beaten her and it's like well you didn't kind of thing (laughs) but that 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 was the, the kind of banter you'd have you know, back in those days. But I found it absolutely bizarre that um, they were angry with me that I'd won. <laughs> and I thought, that's just nuts. <laughs> but hey-ho. But, yeah, um, it, it. what scared me more than anything else was the training that I'd need to put in to master. And you, don't, I say master, you, some people don't even master the 400 because you run it differently every time. But um, I just knew the hard work that I'd have to do, and phew, that scared me. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, no, 400. Because I, I used to do athletics when I was quite young. And I, my favourite athlete was Michael Johnson. So I thought, oh, yes, I'm going to do two. I'm going to do four. And the first race I attempted to run was the 400 metres. And I, I thought, yeah, you sprint all the way around. So I started sprinting. I think I got to 200. I was like, oh, no, I've got nothing left. When I got to the finishing line, my coach was just laughing at me. He was absolutely just laughing at me. And I thought, you know what? Nah, it's not for me.
1: No. <laughs> no, it's hilarious. <laughs> Believe me, that's exactly what goes through
2: every person's mind does You think, oh, this is a doddle at two algerias, and then that gorilla elephant jumps on your back, and that is all over for the
1: two uh, 200.
0: <laughs> awful. Oh, <laughs> dear. With regards to um, your your legs, your long legs. That's one of the things I can remember. Do you think that it almost because of your your stature? Do you think that actually helped you especially in the last 50 to 100 meters because i can remember when i used to watch you you was very very strong in that last part of the 400 meters or was it just um tall just talk to us about that in your opinion
2: yeah i've seen some footage of me when i was young running at the english schools and I was a very upright runner uh, as a youngster um, and just kind of took my stride. Well, I didn't actually use my stride length to the the maximum ability that I could have done as a youngster. I I was quite lazy even when I was playing netball because I was tall. I never really needed to jump for the ball. So I didn't really use my technique to the best of his ability until I changed coaches where... I changed my technique completely, leaning forward slightly more and opening up that stride. And that comes with a lot of training and strength training to be able to hold your form when you are tired. So I always say, you know, training is almost like a dress rehearsal for competition. So all of the training was very much focused on maximizing my stride length, but keeping that speed as well, which can be quite difficult because naturally you slow down. And then there's the breathing that comes into it with 400 meters and pace judgment and speed endurance and all of that stuff it's just i mean it's a great event um but it, it really does find you out if you're missing one link um but yeah everyone says i look like i was never trying when i was running and believe me i was trying but again that relaxation was taught. I definitely taught how to relax, and and that, I think that actually stems way back to when I was eight years old because my mm-hmm. primary school teachers always say to me, just look straight ahead and be determined, and, and yeah. just relax, drop the shoulders, don't tense up, and you know you'll see it when you're watching some athletes. When they tense up, they're going backwards because yeah. they're fighting against that that system that's working. So. To
3: relax and just let it flow is just the best way that I know. Yeah, I've heard that many, many times from people in terms of the relaxation, how important, how key it is. How do you manage to keep yourself so calm in that environment? Let's say it's it's a big race, because a lot of people, when they're it, they can relax all the time. We've seen athletes performing on the Grand Prix circuit, fine. But when it comes to big races they tense up and they start going backwards. How, how did you get through that?
2: Nerves is a funny thing. Um, and I learned how to control my nerves at a very young age, probably at the English schools, because that was uh, the one competition that you almost go through the same process you would at an Olympic Games where,
1: yeah. well,
2: they call them then pens, but what we know as the call rooms where they check yeah. your kit uh, and you're you're in the same environment as those you're going to be racing with. So it's quite intense when you're in the same space as the person who's going to be in the lane next to you, who you're aiming to be. And there's seven others in, in that space. But I was always the individual that not so much talk too much, but I, you know, make contact, eye contact, smile. And that was my way of relaxing. And I found when I saw some of my other training partners being really tense, I tried that once. And that made me feel worse. It was energy. I was like, this is just not me. I need to find what keeps me relaxed. So breathing was huge. And just thinking about what I needed to do. And I mean, the race that everyone remembers is sydney you know when i was on the line having my eyes closed and just trying to stay focused and think about all what i my plan was in that particular yeah. race so yeah. that was my way and, and my my train, not my training partners my teammates in the relay would know donna was the one that would bring the wine gums so i'd be there offering wine gums in the call room and the athletes are like what is she on why she's <laughs> just so happy that you know this is a final and she's so relaxed but that that's what worked for me just being me is what worked for me because you can't change anything at that point you've done all the work why are you stressing yourself out and it's energy that you need yeah. especially in a 400
0: Absolutely, <laughs> was there a time that self-doubt kicked in and if they if it did um how did you overcome it
2: Gosh, so many times. Um, I think if any, the self-doubt would have come in when I wasn't either feeling 100% on the line or I knew I wasn't as fit as I could have been through to injury or illness or whatever that was. Um, But I always say that as athletes, you wear this mask. No one would have known that I had that self-doubt because I'd walk out as if I'm, I'm the star, I've won the race. That was me, that was me convincing myself and giving myself the confidence to kick the doubt out the window. But sometimes it it did, you know, it did impact me. It it really did. Um, And and it's self-talk. And this is why I love. I love positive quotes now, even to this day, you know, just reading them, going through this pandemic. Those are the things that have got me through it. Those positive affirmations, I've got an alter ego that I talk to, uh, and no, I'm not loopy loops, um, although some people might think I am, but it's those things that that absolutely helped me kick that self-doubt out. And I'd I'd honestly say hand on heart, it was probably that 5% of self-doubt that let me down in the Olympic final in in Sydney.
3: You you mentioned briefly um, injuries. Injuries, how how difficult did you find it during times where you were injured and you knew you were missing out on key, maybe key part of winter training and I knew it could potentially affect the season going forward? How how did you feel uh, mentally?
2: Oh, it was tough. Um, I'll, 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 there's two milestones in terms of injury and illnesses. Um, the first one was after... After the European Junior Championships in '92, I was diagnosed with glandular um, fever and I put that down to the 400-meter training that I was doing. I convinced myself it was the hard training, so mentally I was petrified of doing anything that would mean that I was pushing those boundaries. Um, mm. I, I had to see a psychologist to, to get me through that time because I was nowhere. I said, "I'm not doing any more 400 meters. I'm not doing it." That's what made me ill. I was convinced. Mm. Um, so that period of time, I found such it was such an amazing journey with her because although deep down I knew the answer, I knew I didn't get get ill because of the 400. It was just me not listening to my body when I was tired and and mm. resting and all of that. I was studying as well it wasn't the 400 meters at all but when you speak to someone who's neutral to help you realize those answers it is a great help so that journey in itself it was tough but that self realization helped me come out the other end and then another um another moment was when i had achilles problems i had achilles problems for for a number of years from 96 right through to 2001 but was able to maintain it but finally the Achilles like I said hell no Donna no more you're not killing me you're not battering me anymore I've had enough I'm packing in I'm packing my bags I'm going on holiday and um, it it wiped me out it wiped me out Mm. for a number of years which meant going into the 2004 games that was when I came out so I was out for three years and during that period being around my training group who were doing the training sessions going off to compete when I couldn't do it was heartbreaking. It really was heartbreaking. And I remember one particular session, I was on the mat just doing general circuits and rehab and they were doing their session and I thought I can't do this anymore. So I spoke to my coach and I said, I I love being around my training group, but it's killing me watching them do what I can't do. So can we put some time aside that I train on my own with you? So it's one on one. And we did that and that worked wonders because it was just not only just me and my coach but me and me with yeah. my coach overseeing everything and, and that helped me so much um but then my last operation again um, and this is where i say you know sometimes the critics out there and, and the media have so much to answer for mm-hmm. watching athletics i never did while i was having my last operation that year. I refused to watch athletics on TV. I said, I'm not watching mm-hmm. it. I don't want to see people competing. And just mm-hmm. hearing the commentators talk about where is Donna now, I was like, what do you mean where is Donna now? I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm not done yet. So that actually spurred me on. It, it, I didn't mm-hmm. see that as a negative. I saw it as a positive to, to help me get back on it. But, yeah, those tough times, it was absolutely tough, and you really need to dig deep to overcome it. And I just finally said to myself, "It's there's going to be barriers, Donna, and, and people will knock you down. Things will knock you down. It's whether you choose to stay down or get up and keep moving, and I chose the latter.
0: You briefly mentioned um, the media, and I think one of the things when you're up and coming and aspiring, you don't really, or we don't really think about, you know, the the relationship we will have with the media um from your perspective how was your relationship with the media um and for anyone listening who is you know up and coming what advice would you um give to them regarding the media
2: i I think the media is great um i'm not going to knock them um but sometimes they 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 don't quite understand the story of what's going on behind that athlete and no athlete goes out on the field of play to lose you don't do that you wouldn't be an athlete if you were that you go out there to win you do have bad days but it's understanding why they've had bad days what's going on beyond what you're seeing live and direct and it's only later on when when i tell my story like i'm talking to you now that people think oh my gosh Donnie, you were going through that i never said anything but they made the assumption that i would had my day, they wrote me off, you know, and, and that could be, and could have been quite damaging if I took all those critics and the, the you know, old Donna underperformed yet again, and all that kind of stuff that, that you can read, it can be damaging, but it could also be positive. And, and there's two yeah. sides to this, you know, either you choose to tell your story uh, and be open about it, or you just, you know, wrap it up, park it and, and get on with it. Um, And now I think with social media, it helps because the athlete themselves are taking ownership of saying what's going on. If things are going on behind the scenes, they'll say, you know, I'm going through some mental health issues or I'm injured, whatever it may be that could impact them their performance. So therefore, people have got the heads up more than when I was around where it was just the newspapers or on TV. So you're not knowing what's going on behind the scenes. So... So, yeah, so the media do have a lot to answer for, both from a positive and a negative perspective.
3: Okay. Um, you, you spoke um, briefly about um, seeing a therapist before. How common was it when you were competing for therapists? Because obviously now we, we see a lot of psychologists, um, sports psychologists coming into many different sports, yeah. um, but we see it especially in the US. How common was it then
2: it, it wasn't at all. But my coach, um, I always say he was be- before his time. Um, he was quite eccentric in itself. Some of the training sessions were a bit unorthodox, but the athletes and coaches are doing it now where my coach AO did it many years before. And I'd say I was probably his guinea pig, but he he would tap into things that people wouldn't have thought of. And it was him that made contact with this psychologist for me. Yeah. Um, and she wasn't particularly a sports psychologist she was just a psychologist but just those little techniques and he was part of that journey as well um, really helped me a lot but now is part and parcel of of a high performing athlete you know you've got your nutritionist in place you've got your psychologist you've got your biomechanics person with you you've got everything whereas my coach was all of those in all fairness i always say he was my dad my best friend my psychologist my nutritionist Mm -hmm. he was everything all in one person so yeah it wasn't that common back then i'm sure it existed but it wasn't openly available you'd have to find that yourself
0: earlier you mentioned this um alter ego and i found that quite fascinating because i watched a podcast on um i won't mention it but um brian rose um he's i think running for mayor um yeah this coming coming up and some there was someone a very a professional speaking about um alter egos and how we can help people and unfortunately i didn't really watch it um watch um all of it but i did find it quite fascinating so can you just talk to us a little bit about how the your alter ego Um, helped you and does your alter ego have a name
2: (laughs) yes she
1: does
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh i'm I'm laughing because it is it it, she's she's the um how can i say in a polite way she's the hardcore part of me you're talking to donna now i can assure you donna's the, the polite smiley Diane is just wicked, man. She's She doesn't take any prisoners whatsoever, but she's my best friend at the same time. Um, she is the one that, you know, Donna, I'd say, is probably the shy eight-year-old that you would have seen at primary school all those years ago, and, and Diane is the one who is running and winning that that 55 meters at the edge you know what i mean so there's different stages where she'll pop up you know at the beginning of the race the shy donna and during the race it's like (laughs) oh hell yeah i'm I'm winning this race so so diane is um she will kick that self doubt when donna has it when it pops in it's like don't be so ridiculous donna you can do this what are you talking (laughs) about you're well and capable of doing this when it's interviews come on push your shoulders back chin up and walk tall um and and I'd say that she was more apparent through my breast cancer journey um throughout that I mean from beginning to end she was definitely there and and yeah she she's she's just hardcore she's I can see her now which is even more bizarre she looks exactly like me which is even stranger but she's got that yeah real hardcorness about her. Doesn't take yeah. any nonsense.
3: <laughs> do you do you think having having that obviously you just mentioned it a little bit, but having that alter ego, having that athletic background um in terms of the ups and downs, do you think that's what helped you get through the breast cancer?
2: Hundred percent. I, I always say that um aside from Diane, if I wasn't that the athlete, I would have struggled a lot more because all the experiences I had uh, with the injuries and the knockbacks and the yep. not winning races—you have to pick yourself back up and keep going. Um, and when I was told the news that I had had breast cancer, yes, I, I'm not going to lie—I was absolutely devastated. I I was in tears speaking to my care nurse. I was I was distraught. But Diane arrived. And gave me some hard slaps and said, fix up, look sharp, you know, work out what what's next. You know the news. Why are you dwelling on that? It's not going to change. And this is exactly what was coming going through my mind. She was saying that. Um, and, and I literally wiped my, my tears away and I said to, to Julie, the care nurse, I said, okay, tell me what do I need to do? Where do I need to be? What's next? And I think she was even taken aback and and that whole journey, she actually pulled my sister to one side at one appointment and said, is Donna okay? Because she's taking this pretty well. And my sister said, that's Donna, you know, that's how she is. You know, she will just she'll deal with the now. And that, in fact, is exactly what my psychologist told me all those years before. Deal with the now what's been done, what's in the past is done. You can't change that. You can only change the future and move forward on that.
0: There are a variety of backgrounds that would, you know, hear of a auto, an auto ego and, you know, they may associate it with, I don't know, something bad, devilish or, you know, you name it. Um, In your case and in many other sports um, athletes' cases, that is completely not the case. So coming from, and, I, and I'm being very careful because I don't want to, you know, stereotype, you know, specific nationalities and backgrounds. So without doing that, how would you, if you was to, if you was, you know, to have a conversation with, somebody from those kind of backgrounds who are quite skeptical um of an alter ego how would you what would you say to them in how it's helped you
2: yeah i mean that's a great question i think it's a, a personal thing um some people believe in it others don't but when you think about it how often do you walk down the road and there's that inner voice telling you, oh, mind my, <laughs> my out for that hole, you know, you don't want to trip over yeah. there. To me, that's your alter ego in a way, um, watching <laughs> out for you. It's that inner voice. I think everyone does have it. It's how you embrace it. I've probably embraced mine a little bit too much, but you know <laughs> what? I'm, I'm going to applaud her because she's helped me through some tough times. She really has. And, and that, it's the times where – you know, I feel alone and don't want to share that with my my close family, although we are extremely close. There's sometimes that you want to deal with things yourself um, yeah. and it, it's it's a personal preference, but I, I, I would just embrace it. If it's there, it's there. It's not. It's not something yeah. that can be forced. It's definitely something that can't be forced, but some people may not see that as it. They may think that they need to write everything down, what's going through, what they're going through. There's different forms of offloading. I just offload and gain my confidence and and inspiration from Diane, uh, and I definitely listen to her. I dare not listen to her.
3: When it came to your career, when it came to the end, what made you make that decision you know what it's time for me to to call it a day on the track
2: it, it was the breast cancer um i it was 2009 and i was I, again i changed my focus i started to run 400 meters indoors which i would never done before because i needed another boost um, yeah. so when i did pretty well indoors at the european indoor championships i was so looking forward to the outdoor season going to the world championships and it was a spark that i needed and i always knew you you know as an athlete when it's time to hang up your spikes but i was definitely not done yet but then when that diagnosis came came came, was presented to me i was like oh my gosh how am i going to get through this but even before that diagnosis i was still i had a lumpectomy i had the lump removed and yep. was back on the track training and competing again no one knew apart from my close training partners, my close family, and my coach. <laughs> Everyone else in the athletics community did, couldn't understand why I was Donna doing 100 meters more often because there's yeah. no way I could have coped with the pain of running the full 400, and, and I'd missed quite a bit of training anyway. But it, it, was, it was a decision I made because I, I thought we only have one life, and i want to live it and at that moment i i wasn't sure what i was going to do and of course i i, I did opt for the mastectomy uh, in the december of that same year in 2009 but it was through my recovery that i because i by then i'd retired i retired at the end of that summer mm-hmm. um still no the athletics community didn't know they just thought donna's retired because i I've been known as the grandma of athletics for so long. He's like, yeah, finally, mm-hmm. she's given up. Um, but then during my recovery in 2010, I was like, I'm not done. I'm really, really not done. And especially I'm um, I'm not done on my terms. Yeah. Um, and so I, I approached my coach and I said, do you think I could give it a go for 2012? So he's like, of course you can, Donna. I know you could if you really wanted to. Um, So we put a plan in place and then 2012, um, well, I came out of retirement and 2012, I came out of retirement and aimed for the 2012 games. And that was when I announced why I was making a comeback. Although everyone was saying, Johnny, you're crazy. Why do you want to come back and do 400? But it wasn't about that. It was more from an inspirational perspective that I could finish on my terms and Mm -hmm. also tell my story and hopefully inspire other women who are going through that journey that you can come out the other end. So it it wasn't just about because I love my sport. It wasn't just about that and see how far I can get. It was to finish on my terms. So when I did my final race in 2012, I was happy to say, yeah, that's it. I'm done now for the next chapter.
0: We have to commend you and any other athlete that comes out and, you know, shares their personal story. I guess the next question for me is, how did you get to that conclusion that you wanted to you know share with the wider community that this was the reason why um you know things events were happening in your life
2: yeah it it was it was a it was an easy decision it, it definitely it was easy for me it wasn't so easy for yeah. my family uh, and you know coming again from a West Indian background was like you don't hang out your dirty laundry no one needs to know and i was like I, this is <laughs> not anymore it's not about me anymore it's about if i can share my story and save lives that's what means more to me than anything else so Um, During that, when I was getting better and recovering, I connected with, which was then breast cancer, breakthrough breast cancer, which is now breast cancer now, and got involved with them because I wanted to tell my story that breast cancer doesn't discriminate. Um, And I was an athlete. I'm a Olympian. How could this possibly be? I was fit. No family history. So that story in itself, if that could impact those from an ethnically diverse community like myself to go and check themselves, to catch it early, I can help save lives and have that impact. So that was my focus, that was my motive. Um, Although my parents weren't too keen, but then of course I had to explain why I was coming out of retirement. Um, And I told my story to a newspaper, um, someone who I'd actually befriended in, in the media, someone I trusted and he broke the story on the day of the Olympic trials. Hmm. And oh my gosh, I I was so nervous. When I read it, I was so nervous, but the calls just came in like, oh, I understand now why you came out of retirement. It, it, you know, I thought it was because of me, you missed me, but you know, on a serious note, um, (laughs) it, it, it was just so overwhelming the response I got. And I got a standing ovation when I stepped foot out on the track and I was like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna run 40 in tears? But you know, that that was so overwhelming and I I was and I didn't do that to get a standing ovation. I didn't mm-hmm. do it for that. It was absolutely to encourage other women, A, to be body aware and just to get themselves checked out. If they can catch it early, they can live.
3: When you retired for that second time, did you feel yes? I'm I'm leaving the sport on my own terms. It's not been it's not being handed to me. I've decided I'm done now.
2: Absolutely, uh, it was it was a breath of fresh air. And again, to have that standing ovation was like it, it was a nice goodbye for me. It was a sad one. Don't get me wrong. It was it was emotional. I was in tears. Crystal Palace as well was the same because that's the track that I trained at and. It 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 blew me away because I just didn't expect expect that. I knew the story was being shown, it, it was breaking that day, but I just didn't get expect that. And to say goodbye in that way, I couldn't have asked for more. It wasn't just the case of putting it on on social media, but to actually yeah. hear the crowd clapping and applauding to say thank you. And I had a chance to say thank you to them as well, which which was also nice.
0: Um. You know, going back to your career, I, I always thought to myself, um, God knew what he was doing and, in not making me an athlete. Because I could imagine, you know, having a bad race and then a commentator asking me, how do you think you did? And my response would be something <laughs> along the lines of, well, what do you think? How, how do you think I did? So I, I guess I've always wanted to ask this question to, you know, athletes like yourself, um, tennis stars, even boxers. You have just had a, you know, you know, a a bad performance, and then now you have to go in front of the cameras. How do you mentally prepare yourself? Knowing you've only got, there's only like a, a, you know, a few minutes in between you finishing that race and then you having to go and speak to, for argument's sake, you know, the BBC. How do you mentally prepare yourself?
2: you haven't got much time to be honest i mean the, the the emotions are peaks and troughs you want to kick yourself you want to punch yourself thinking if it's a bad race of course
1: yeah. you know you
2: want to scream you want to cry the the roller coaster of emotions is immense um, and, and you know one thing I always think is oh my gosh I've let my coach down what am I going to say to my coach if he hasn't seen the race of course if it's not mm-hmm. been televised it's even worse if it's been televised because you're thinking oh my gosh everyone saw me run like a donkey all those yeah. things <laughs> those voices are just going through but if that's all happening from the minute you leave the track to go through the, the mix zone where all the press are and if they feel like talking to you it's not always the case they feel like talking to you You're praying they don't want to talk to you because you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to speak but if they do then i was always honest about it it wasn't the race that i wanted to run you know it, i have to go back to the drawing board analyze the race where i went wrong and you know just be honest with it because you're not fooling anyone. Um it was a you can't swear obviously on TV, but it was a, it was an awful race, you know. But you're right, some commentators do ask ridiculous questions. I'm like, no. really? You ask that <laughs> question as if I wanted to really come last, as if I wanted yeah. to trip over and fall over. You know, what happened? I don't know what happened. You tell me what <laughs> happened, you saw me <laughs> run. Um but yeah, some of the questions are pretty silly. Um but that that's how journalists are, I guess. But for me, I just try and just reflect after. Go back to the, the, the warm-up track, warm down, and again, it, it's draining. No one sees those moments after yeah. you've left the track. No one sees that, the, the tears, the anger, the, the walking around the track with your coach if your coach is there it's just horrible but again especially as if you've got the relay and it's a major championship you have to put that to bed because you have to pick yourself up and get ready for the relay because you're part of the team it's no longer just donna it's you and four other girls so you can't take that in with you
3: once once you were you were done competing Because I've spoken to a lot of people, when they finish a sport, they're not quite sure what they're going to do. Did you have in your mind what you're going to do after you retired?
2: Yeah, well, again, um, my famous words from my parents that athletics isn't going to last forever and pay the bill. So I worked alongside my athletics career as far back as I can remember. There's only... One year that I, when I retired from, not retired, sorry, I gave up my job as a, as a tourism representative for the St Vincent Tourist Board in 96 to focus on the 96 Olympic Games. So I was not working for that year and I hated that year, not only because finances weren't coming in, but also I didn't have another thing to focus on. so um edf energy um approached me that in 97 to sponsor me up until 2000 games and in that period they offered me a job so ever since i've worked and that's been by choice because obviously there's lottery funding but i've Mm -hmm. always felt that if if anything was to go wrong um i could fall off a curb and break my foot and that's it i'd have a job to fall back on so my transition from athlete to the world of work was not as strenuous as some athletes find it which is why i'm such an advocate for athletes to do something else while you're competing mm. and it won't impact your athletics it's always good to have something else to fall back on so i i found that transition fairly easy don't get me wrong i miss my sport but now working in it you know i'm still it's still close to me which is great but um mm. Yeah, I, I've I always worked alongside it, so I found it pretty easy. It was, there was just still a little bit of a gap because I didn't have to get up and go training, and I didn't miss it when it was snowing outside.
0: <laughs> Donna I have to mention this: um, the infamous glasses that you used to wear. That's how. Oh. That's how. <laughs> This is how most of us remember. <laughs> if only you lot could see. And <laughs> they <it's> so nice. <laughs> <laughs> These are what, what, my babies.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, in, what inspired you? Because that's how we will always remember you, you know. Um, no one can ever forget who Donna Fraser is because you had those infamous glasses. What inspired you?
2: It's a funny story, actually. Um, when I run, my eyes stream with water. Don't know why, and it's okay. so off-putting, so annoying. So my coach again um, just put me in contact with Oakleys, and they be, they sponsored me. And you know what? They they were part of me. They became part of me. If I couldn't wear them, I felt lost. Um, and and it was great when they they started to bring in the the clear lenses because then i could run in them day night and the only thing <laughs> they did have were windscreen wipers so when it rained wasn't so great but um yeah people think it was just a fashion statement it certainly wasn't but it they certainly became part of me and and my brand i guess without me even realizing it but i love them i've got so many pairs and love <laughs> them they're me <laughs> <laughs> And they stop anyone... the flies getting in the eyes as well when you're running <laughs> abroad.
3: Um, <laughs> what what then, was the worst country for that?
2: So anywhere where it was hot, um, yeah. we train in LA quite a lot, and there was a place there that always had these flies swarms. Yes. And if they didn 't go in your mouth, they're going in your eyes, but my my eyes were fine. it was the mouth that you had still they're going up your nose but um oh, anywhere warm, warm, humid climates were the worst, but my eyes were fine. Everyone else can
1: <laughs> how
0: so, so going into um let 's talk a little bit about relay. how mm-hmm. did you balance individual your individual event with um training with the relay team and what from your from the yeah from your perspective what team activities did the coaches do to ensure that there was a a nice cohesion amongst all of you relay runners
2: you know what i will always say the relay girls that i've been surrounded by they're my sisters i always said that i've always said it We didn't need to do so much training for the 4x4 relay because it's not as technical as the 4x1 where you have to do (laughs) the markers and when they hit the mark, you're you're off. You have to to trust. You have to have a lot of trust with the 4x4 because – and watch and know how that incoming runner – is looking so even though you're eager to go off if that person is dying coming into you why are you going off because they're they're dying they they want to pass this baton to you so you have to trust and know your team and we certainly had that even with newcomers coming in and as as i got older i became the more senior member of the team and for me teamwork is everything and i try to create that environment where. We were a sisterhood. We looked out for each other, you know, a couple of days before we were on the line with each other and hated each other's guts. We were going to beat each other. But two days later, we came together as a team. And there was never a weak link, but we all knew our job as part of that relay team. And, yeah. and you know, it it was phenomenal. It was such a journey. I loved it. Uh, and I do remember when I retired, I handed over the packet of wine gums to the girls. I said, well... Yeah now you're on your own someone <laughs> has to look after these wine gums because auntie donna's not going to be there but yeah I, i've always said all the relay four by fours i've been in we've had a blast we've had we've had such great times you know that when you, if we don't do so well and i, I do remember in, in 2000 two girls myself and Kathy mary both ran under 50 seconds for the 400 in the individual and we didn't get a medal in the relay how is that possible but yeah. there was no blame passed. we we were a team we came sick yes we were disappointed but we supported one another through that and that to me is what makes a great team and 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 I have that that's how it's always been as the 4x4 girls
3: mm. my last question to you so if someone is listening right now who's looking to be an athlete what would you say are the three most important attributes they need to be the best version of themselves?
2: Three top things. In no particular order, absolutely know your worth. I I do believe everyone has a talent, and it's just finding that and having that self-belief, believe that you can achieve, aim for the stars regardless of what anyone says to you. And just stay focused i think that is really important because as a young athlete you've got all your friends doing things that you may want to do and you know you're thinking oh i love my athletics but also i want to be out there with my friends going here then everywhere they will always be there your athletics won't be and if they're good friends they will know that and support you and push you and say no i i got you do what you need to do and i'm here because otherwise you'll you'll regret it. You'll look back and think, "Oh, I should have, could have, woulda." Or, "Oh, I used to do hundred meters. Used to, but did you go yeah. for it? And, and you didn't give yeah. yourself the best chance." So, so definitely stay focused, believe in yourself, and just dig deep and and never give up.
0: Okay, my last question is: the best stadiums that you <laughs> ran in. What were your top three stadiums outside the UK? outside the uk
1: <laughs>
2: yeah no definitely I, 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 yeah you, you got me there i was gonna say crystal palace but actually no it wasn't crystal palace because i was petrified of <laughs> crystal palace crystal palace of birmingham i was petrified it just seemed huge and it's the same 400 mm. meters again this is how the mind works with you um so outside of the uk top three i absolutely number one was shanghai yeah. I, I thought that was an amazing stadium. The hotel that we were staying in overlooked the stadium and somehow my coach, being the coach that he was, had a room so he could have stayed in his room and watched <laughs> me <laughs> run, which was bizarre. So um, Shanghai was one. Um, and then India, a place called Pune, Puna, Pune, Pune. Okay. Um, not oh. sure of the pronunciation. That was an eye opener for me. Um because at that particular competition, they were trying to get um, IAAF status. So it was a permit meeting, So they invited a number of athletes to come and compete there of, of a high level. But because it, it wasn't, didn't get the status yet, they gave the locals a holiday to come and watch us. And when i mean, they were fighting each other to get through this little door to come get in the stadium. But it was jam packed. It was like an Olympic Games.
1: Um, and
2: and they shouted for everyone it was phenomenal and I ran a personal best which is even better (laughs) but the rain I remember it raining monsoon and luckily it stopped by the time I'd raced but that those those two and of course Sydney um the Sydney final um I'll never forget it being on that line when the gun went and I didn't hear a thing didn't hear a thing i could have heard a pin drop and all i saw was the flashing lights in the stadium i watch it now and i'm petrified because i think how the hell did i cope with that in <laughs> that noise because i didn't hear it i was so much in the zone so those are definitely my top three
0: okay um i do have an additional question um when you were traveling around to different locations did you have maybe, um, you know, outside the wine gums, did you have other foods that kept you comfortable or were you somebody that, you know, was more um, willing to try the cuisines in those places?
2: I'm laughing because if you only knew some <laughs> of the places we had to travel to, oh my gosh,
1: yeah
2: <laughs> there's places I've been and every time yeah, at mealtime you're asking oh what meat is that it's chicken well I've never seen chicken with three legs before so <laughs> 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 you're like <laughs> I can't I can't do it I can't do it so there's been places where I've lived on rice and salad um, wow. and pasta you know keeping it simple so I don't get deli belly or mm-hmm. i'm ill anything like that but so what we i'd always do and this is so fun i used to travel with a a travel kettle and okay. um, a cup of soups
1: mm-hmm.
2: pop noodles mm-hmm. those are the things i would travel with when i was much younger as i got older it, it wasn't so bad but my mum would always pack uh, mr. Ki- <laughs> mr kipling's farmhouse cake for me <laughs> oh wow <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so she'd always pack that, and then as we got older, my my roommate, who I've always roommate with, with a hundred meter runner, Marcy Richardson, then she's now Bailey. Um, we'd always agree who was bringing what, so she'd always bring the uh, uh, a cracker bell, and I'd bring the brats and pickles. So we'd have cheese and pickle and crackers uh, just to to get by, but yeah they were tough times then and now the athletes don't know how good they've got it they're traveling to the bahamas for competitions there's (laughs) definitely going to be good food there but we we you know my my era definitely was a struggle some some different foods but there's times that you just have to grin and bear it and think i'll just eat that because i need the protein hopefully it's protein that i'm eating um (laughs) and just hope (laughs) for the best yeah
0: so definitely Donna, um, yeah, it was, this has been a really, really good conversation. Um, I guess for Edwin and I, the best way to describe, I guess you coming on as a guest is, I guess, nostalgic, really. Um, and, and as I said, you know, in the introductory part of this podcast, you were part of a golden generation. You were part of so many athletes that really got us into it and you know, you are part of that and um I won't mention no names but there was we we had an athlete on not too long ago and she mentioned the impact that you specifically had on her. Oh. She specifically mentioned your name. Maybe offline we'll tell you who. <laughs> um, but yeah she really, really, really spoke highly of you. So um yeah. So That's definitely when you mentioned the the fact that, you know, the transition turning into the senior member, um, it really made me, made, I'm sure both of us go back to thinking about, you know, what that athlete said. So, yeah, oh. yeah. Um, from the bottom of our heart, it's absolutely, you know, been, we're so privileged to have you on and, um, you know, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. But, you know, we really, really, really thank you. So, oh, um thank you. If, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, uh, please fire away. How can I get in contact with you?
2: Oh, well, it, it's quite obvious, really. At Donna Legs with a Z um, <laughs> on Insta and Twitter. I am setting up my website very soon, so that will be out fairly, fairly shortly. And, and, of course, on Facebook as well, at Donna Legs with a Z. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. And, of course, on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn from a professional perspective as well.
0: Um anything you need we'll we'll share that with you. But we can speak about that offline. Sure. Okay, guys. So if you are a new listener, um welcome aboard. If you are a regular listener, um thank you and once again keep continuing to listen and share. Um on behalf of Mind Talks and myself and Edwin and Miss Donna Fraser. Um stay healthy
1: and stay blessed. And until next time, we'll see you soon.